Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast. Uh, in the new year, happy 2017, Toronto. Look at you. You made it. We got through 2016. Um, statistically and based on the age of most of the celebrities that we followed as children, it's going to be a worse year, but we don't need to get into that. Tonight, we're going to focus on something totally different uh, and, and and put all of that 2016, 2017 nonsense behind us. Tonight... I'm not joined by my lovely friend, Miss Mandy Murphy, because Mandy is real, real, real busy running a brewery right now. Instead, I have another co-host who's really, 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 really busy opening a brewery. My co-host tonight, the charming and very, very talented Mr. Stephen Rich. Stephen, how are you? Well, I'm very well, Chris. Thank you for that. That's a lovely and very undeserving welcome that you gave me, but I appreciate it very much. (laughs) I felt it was deserving, and I am sticking by it. <laughs> fair, fair. Stephen, you and I first met, I don't even know when, many years ago. Many moons, as they say. Uh, you were just getting into the commercial side of brewing, is that correct? We, we both had blogs at one point, and you did a lot of reviewing as well. And then from that, you, you parlayed that into uh, some work brewing, that's correct? Yeah, I mean, the whole point of Definition Ale, which was my blog at the time, was to get a foot in the door, was to find some sort of avenue to get me into the beer business as opposed to just a beer hobby. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did Definition Ale for quite a few years. It was awesome. Um, I haven't posted on it in quite a while because frankly, it uh, it lived its purpose. Yep. That's cool. Uh do you want to run through sort of your your uh, brewing pedigree, how you got to where you are now? Say where you are now, by the way. I know where you're at. You're at Cowbell, but you might want to throw that in there, too. Throw that in there too. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, uh, I am the brewmaster at Cowbell Brewing Company. Uh, we are a startup brewery who is contract brewing right now at Brunswick Beer Works in the east end of Toronto. Uh, we've been contract brewing uh, since late spring 2016 um and right now we are maybe halfway to three quarters the way through construction on our uh square foot brewing facility that will include retail event space offices uh full restaurant um on 111 acres of land in uh beautiful blythe ontario which is out in huron county uh which is Super exciting. Um, as you mentioned earlier in the intro, uh, it has been a, a planning process, a building process. It's been about a year and a half for me and uh, up to five years for, for the core team just mm. thinking about this. So, so that's where I'm at now, which is, which is super amazing. It's, it's kind of a dream come true for me. Um, before that, I, um, I've worked for a few different breweries. I've worked for some contract breweries before. Uh, I've worked for um, bricks and mortar breweries before, small and larger. Um, and before that, I worked in finance and studied finance, uh, which was weird. Um, so you're good at seed capital. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I loved finance and I studied it and really enjoyed it. And, uh, when I left university, I was super gung ho, 
uh, for finance. Um, it, was, it was a bit of a rough time. I graduated and got a job in mutual funds in 08. Ouch. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Selling mutual funds was tough. I spent most of my time convincing 35-year-olds not to sell all of their mutual funds at their lowest point. Right. It was tough. So I, uh, I was into beer at the time. Uh, you know, I grew up in London, Ontario, um, and first witnessed blue and wasn't super thrilled. Um, but eventually kind of realized that there was stuff like steam whistle and Smithix and bass and Guinness out there and thought I was drinking the best beer that the world had to offer. And then moved to Toronto, uh, for school in, uh, four and, uh, or late Oh three, I guess. And, um, and the beer bistro, you know, kind of showed me a whole new world. I went to Ryerson, so the beer bistro is just down the road. Yeah. And uh, you know, a Dogfish sixty, a Saint Ambois oatmeal stout, and a Schneider Aventinas later. Um, and Dana had totally convinced me that beer was uh, something, <laughs> something to to marvel. And that kind of started, uh, you know, my flight down the rabbit hole. Uh, and after a year, kind of in misery in the financial world, I realized, well. I don't have uh, a wife, kids, mortgage, all these responsibilities. This is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, there were like 30-odd breweries in Ontario, not the 200 we have now. It's crazy, eh? Yeah, it's, it's kind of wild to think back. You know, I, I remember specifically thinking to myself, walking home after having left uh, a job with a mutual fund company, what the heck am I going to do to get into this beer game? You know, I got, I got my... <laughs> Uh, I got my smart serve right away. Uh, turns yeah. out I'm not a very good server. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I called a lot of guys that were super helpful. And I remember thinking like, oh, what are the breweries I could call? And the list wasn't very long. Um, <laughs> the list is crazy now. But, you know, the guys at the time were the, uh, you know, living in Toronto, uh, the two guys I called right away and that were the most helpful was Ken Woods at Black Oak and Ron mm-hmm. Keefe at the Granite. Oh, yeah. Those guys were, were super helpful. Um, you know, they were probably the two guys that sat me down and said, okay, Stephen, this is what making beer is. Because um, I really didn't know. And then, you know, homebrewing and books and books and studying and studying and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, starting the blog um, helped me find a way into the industry when it was still kind of early budding. Mm. Um without having formal education. I still have not done any formal education in brewing, which is something I would like to do. Um, I think it would be beneficial for me and for the brewery that I work for. Um, but at the same time, it takes a couple of years to do proper formal education. And as you said, I'm, I'm a bit busy building a brewery right now. <laughs> but uh, I did what I could. I, you know, I, I did uh, the Prudhomme program and the Cicerone program, um, both of which were, were fantastic for me and, and were pretty good in, because at the time, I don't know if there were any Prudhomme, Cicerone, BJCP certified people in Ontario. Now right. there's now there's lots of, of great people, obviously, with those designations. But, um, you know, that it was actually Morella, uh, Morella Amato, who obviously was, was a great beer writer in Ontario for a long time. Um, it was talking to her while trying to learn a little bit more about blogging and beer education, um, how I connected with my first commercial brewing opportunity. She knew some people looking for kind of a jack of all trades and, uh, I was willing to do anything. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so a normal sort of gig uh, in this is uh, the what are you drinking section. I'm going to dive in with uh, another fellow who uh, has an interesting tale on how he came to be where he's at. But I would let him tell that uh, when you swing by his lovely little new brewery out in, uh, uh, I guess, technically East York. But anyway, I'm having uh, a beer from Muddy York. It is called Ward One Cascade Pale Ale. And I know for a fact, because part of the reason why I'm drinking it is because I'm trying to get around to making this beer with uh, some, I never get the letter order right, VQH hops uh, Cascade. And uh, this is made with that hop. And so uh, I wanted to give it a whirl and see what he got out of it. It is VQH. It's just right on the label. Uh, but so this is sort of like an Ontario take on the classic Sierra Nevada, heavy, heavy cascade use throughout and uh, kind of drawing attention to that. And, and I'll tell you, it's funny because it definitely is cascade. Like as soon as I open the bottle, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's clearly it. But man, the, the fruitiness on the nose it's just like Cascade to me is uh, almost a mix. It tends towards that, that peel, the citrus peel side of the balance with a lot of spiciness to it. But this is just like almost citrus juicy. It's fantastic. I really dig this. This is a really good beer. I hope mine comes out as nice as this does because this is delicious. And I believe it's in the fridge uh, right now at Muddy York uh, in, in East York. Uh, Stephen, you got anything good in front of you right now? Uh, I do. I hope I do. I hope people eventually enjoy it. I can't say a whole lot about it, but I'm um, I'm QCing our uh, fifth Renegade beer. Uh, this will be released in March. Um, Renegade is our monthly rotating draft only while supplies last, um, essentially limited edition series of beers. We started it back in November with a Rauch beer, uh, and uh, now in January we're on to um, an Imperial Stout. Mm. So I uh, yeah I've got the March beer in front of me which is which is really nice um, I can tell you that it's uh, it's ten point nine seven percent it's uh, low in the BUs uh, low in the color um, heavy on the spice heavy on the fruit I'll, I'll let you take a gander at what it might be but uh, <laughs> it, uh, so far it's nice it came out of my fridge and it was a little cold uh, it was pretty pretty focused on all those fruity sensations but now that it's it's warming up it's giving me a little bit more spice it's showing off a couple of the specialty ingredients that i threw into there and uh the alcohol is nice and soft and warming um yeah it's it's doing well so far fantastic um so yeah let's dive right in to what the theme tonight is, and and you were an especial top of the list uh, person on this. And it's actually funny, Mandy and I had talked about tackling this theme um, some point in December. We were talking about it, and we realized that neither one of us really had anything coherent to add to the conversation. Um, that's maybe a little bit of a, a an overstatement. Mandy has actually enough because they've been obviously looking into it through their brewery. But the theme is the environmental impact of uh, of brewing, and uh, I, I mean, I I know what some of the impacts are. I have very little experience in terms of mitigating it and stuff like that. And uh, from her her point of view, she's in roughly the same boat. Although uh, they obviously been working to do a bunch of stuff that they can around the brewery, but she says that's that's kind of more Mark's hat, uh, and the brewing side of things. So, uh, we were like, well, who do we know? And she said, you know, 
you know, the deal with cowbell and, and what uh, Steven's at. And I was like, Oh yeah, because, and if you want to say it, cowbell is planning. Uh, we're planning to be the North America's first, we believe maybe even the world's first closed loop carbon neutral brewery, which is intensely, intensely cool. Uh, okay. Let's, let, let's, um, paint the picture of, if, if we can call it the problem, uh, with, uh, with brewing. And then we can talk a little bit about, uh, some of the ways that, uh, it's dealt with and, and tried to be made a little bit more, uh, yeah, sustainable. Uh, obviously the one that immediately pops to my mind in brewing is water and water usage because you guys and me as a home brewer use a lot, a lot, a lot of water compared to how much beer you get out of the end process, right? Yep. Oh yeah. Is it Sierra Nevada is now down to like one to one. So for every liter of water, they every liter of beer they make, they're only losing a liter of water. And that's like huge because it's like more like five to one for most people. Yeah. So the the ratios are usually um, amount of water used per amount of beer produced. So if you're one to one, it takes you a liter of water to make a liter of beer. So Mm. there's not, I don't know for certain what Sierra Nevada's number is. Certainly it's extremely low. Um, But to get into the very low numbers like that, you generally have to be doing high gravity brewing, which is uh, super efficient, um, but not generally what craft brewers do. Um, I don't know what the number is, but I know that the new brick brewery in Waterloo is among the world's most efficient water usage breweries. Um, Mm. they've got a pretty, they've got a state of the art brew house, um, as well as resource management system. And I believe they're, they're at something like two to one or just under two to one. Mm. Um, so I, I believe people like founders, and Bells and probably Sierra Nevada are in the three to four to one, which is an astounding number. Um, most breweries, from what I understand uh, and from the research that we did, um, are closer to 10 to 12 to one. Wow. Uh, one of the biggest problems, uh, and we realized this immediately when doing some research, the biggest problem is that people don't know. People don't know how much water they're using for every liter of beer. Uh, They know they get a bill um, Mm. at the end of every month or quarter or whatever. Um, But people aren't really paying attention or focusing to how much water they're actually using. And they're also not focusing on the content of that waste water when it goes down the drain and is essentially gone and out of your out of your sights. But the city's municipal system has to deal with that, which has its own environmental and water uh, concerns and impacts. You're telling me that pouring hundreds of hectoliters of caustic solution into Lake Ontario is a bad thing? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying you're pouring it. You can't see that. that. (laughs) You're, You're actually pouring it into a municipal system that has to somehow deal with that, right? And yeah. so as you uh, as you charge these municipal wastewater systems, um, as you tax them, it means that the city has to uh, pay to upgrade them and maintain them, which costs taxpayers um, and also uses an extreme amount of resources, i.e. energy and water, just to clean the waste coming through. So the mm-hmm. the, the trail is very long, um, both by using lots of water for obvious reasons and um, by not quite understanding what you're putting down the drain. And it's not always 
I mean, in most cases, it's it's not necessarily the, a direct fault of our own. You know, as as the industry has exploded in the last five to twenty years, um, people are really focused on getting a business going, getting something they love going, and 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 making it a success for them and their employees, um, and making sure they have great beer. Water is often an afterthought. Um, mm-hmm. And it's often that also because there's not a whole lot you can do about it. We, um, there is a lot you can do about it. However, you know, one of the things that's a great advantage for Cowbell is the fact that we're building from the ground up. How many breweries, I mean, Chris, how many breweries do you know have built their breweries, um, including the floors that they're building their brewery on? Yeah, no, exactly. It's, yeah, you're working with existing conditions pretty much all the time. Exactly. So... Uh, that's a huge effect on water um, as yeah. well as, as how you treat that water. So yeah, water's, mm-hmm. water's a big challenge. Yeah. Yep. I know. Uh, I mean, as soon as you start learning a little bit more about brewing, just as a consumer, <clears throat> when your interest kind of gets peaked and you want to learn more, one of the first kind of myths that gets dispelled uh, about the life of the brewer is that the brewer spends most of their time making beer when in fact the brewer spends most of their time cleaning. And of course, most of that cleaning is done either with water or with chemicals that then need to be cleaned away with water and it's just yeah as soon as you start thinking about it it, it becomes a very and especially as soon as you start homebrewing you start really seeing it when uh you're just like man i pour so much water down the driveway it's crazy um what about uh energy stuff i know that's going to be a huge focus uh that you guys are looking at i mean uh, you're heating these enormous volumes of water uh, and not just heating them, but like bringing them to a boil, maintaining that boil for a long period of time. Obviously, brewing vessels are designed uh, with efficiency in mind. You know, they're closed, that they're vented, but they're closed so that you don't get lost out that way. And then you know, the, either the elements or the, the gas or whatever is uh, the fires in a place that, you know, distributes heat well and so on and so forth but uh talk to me a little bit about that about what the energy uh with i mean everything like from keeping the lights on right down to yeah heating the water looks like yeah so there's a lot you can actually do with with energy and energy recovery now everything takes energy right um the the more water you use um it, it requires energy to get that water to you so water is not just a use of water, but it's also um, a resource that you're using up in terms of energy. Uh, and then, as you said, in brewing, you're constantly bringing things up to temperature, decreasing temperatures. There's always fluxes in energy. Um, today, we can benefit by using energy-saving technologies. Essentially, constantly you're using energy to create energy, i.e. you are Um, creating steam in order to heat water that water itself is storing energy in in by way of heat Uh, and then inevitably steam or condensate is going to come off of it Uh, and a great example is in the boil obviously in the boiling process you're creating quite a lot of steam Um, what we are doing and what a lot of breweries can do whether it's from scratch or retrofit is you can capture that steam and use it to do many other things. You can capture that steam and condense it and use it as rinse water uh, before your CIP processes, which can reduce, obviously, your water usage as a whole. Alternately, you can take that steam and you can pass it through a heat exchanger to preheat other water, meaning that you have less energy needs to 
bring certain waters up to temperature, like in your hot liquor tank, and you can recapture that water after that anyways. And so this process of capturing steam and turning it into water, as well as capitalizing on, um, on heating and uh, essentially trades of energy is how you can really save energy in the brew house, uh, on your hot and cold liquor tanks, on your heat exchanger, etc. Anytime you've got heat going away, but you're going to need heat somewhere later, if you can take that uh, and utilize it, you're, you're going to be better off. You're going to use less energy to get there. Hmm. That's really cool. So yeah, steam coming off the kettle uh, is definitely one. And obviously, I mean, the one that a lot of people will have experience with from like brewery tours that a lot of people use is the heat exchangers. You're, you're chilling your wort and heating your next batch of water or the batches after water or whatever. Um, what other sorts of uh, sorts of things can uh, a brewer do uh, looking at like reducing energy usage? Because um, obviously from the mill to the auger that delivers the grain to the kettle to filtering, which I guess is actually done mostly by gravity and pressure. But I just threw that in there because it just popped into my head. Um, but that sort of stuff. What, what other sorts of things uh, can can a brewer look at? So really, it's endless. Um one of the things that we've done, which is having a huge impact on our business, is um, the building systems. Um, buildings are, are hugely uh, advanced these days, right? So mm-hmm. um, our lead architect, our project architect, uh, Jason Morgan out of Allen Avis Architects in Godridge, uh, is a brilliant genius. Um, and we've been working with him from the get-go to ensure that the building itself, the brewery, um, the restaurant, the offices and everything are as environmentally conscious and energy savings as they can be. So, for example, um, there's a lot of simple things and, and breweries are starting to utilize these more and more. Obviously, LED lights use a lot less energy than typical fluorescent or other lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're much brighter, much easier to control, and much more specific. And you can get them in a crazy array of styles these days. So LEDs is easy, not to mention the fact that LEDs don't emit UV light, which obviously hurts your beer. Good for beer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My beer cellar has only LED lights in it, no ultraviolets. Um, and uh, so you can easily move to LEDs. You can also start installing fans. Uh, fans are really good, especially... If you are in a big building, now we're in a big building um, and a lot of breweries are in big buildings. A lot of breweries are also in small buildings, but um, temperature stratification happens in the environment, no matter how big or small that environment is, especially Mm -hmm. when you have something like a brew house in (laughs) the middle or corner of your building producing and trapping quite a bit of heat. Uh, Let's say you're trying to heat the whole building uh, in the middle of the winter. Well, you might be inefficiently using the heat or not using the heat from your brew house by just letting that heat sit there stagnant. With fans uh, appropriately designed to distribute the air throughout the building, you can reduce your heating needs because you've got a heating source right there that you're using anyways. The same mm-hmm. thing is true in the winter uh, or sorry, in the summer when you're trying to cool. Um, obviously, if you're cooling, your brew house is doing the opposite but the fans are going to help your HVAC system. So there's a lot of different industrial fans uh, that you can get. Uh, We're using a company called Big Ass Fans. I know Big Ass Fans. They're awesome uh, for a lot of reasons, um, and their fans are legitimately Big Ass Fans. 
Um, I can't remember the diameter on ours, but they're giant, crazy fans. Um, I believe we have five or seven of them going throughout the entire building. Um, They've been specifically positioned um, by our architect to optimize the flow. So we need the minimum number of fans to create the perfect amount of air distribution. Because, of course, the fans use energy, too. You don't want to use too many. Mm -hmm. Um, And in our case... the list kind of goes on and on Uh, because we're building the brewery from scratch. um, Jason has specced our architect has specced um, a special blue wrap to go around the entire building. Now I don't know a lot of the technical details on this um, and it's not insulation. It's essentially a uh, like a Ziploc bag sealed around the entire building. Um, If you check out our Facebook right now uh, or drive by the site, you'll see, The building went up, you know, with wood and then insulation got installed. Um, But outside of the framing is this is this interesting looking blue wrap and it gets sealed and tucked into all the windows and doors um, and is essentially an additional layer of protection um, from the outside elements. So we're trapping heat and we're trapping cool, um, creating, I guess, another layer of insulation, another more powerful layer of insulation. We have also gone through um, a really cool technical design program. Uh, I don't recall the name of it. Again, this was on our architect side, but they went through a 360 day trial um, on our site, uh, essentially a simulation that in the end told us how we should position our building so that we maximize sun, but minimize heat gain. Um, so in the winter, we don't need to, in the winter, we're getting as much sun and light as we can. Um, and then the summer, we're not gaining all this extra heat that we need to cool or get rid of. With that, we've also applied a special coating to all the windows that, uh, reduces a large percentage. I don't want to misquote the percentage, but, um, but it, uh, reduces the greenhouse effect in the building. Right um, by something like 80%. So again, uh, reducing all those energy needs. So the, the building technology is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, from a brewing process side, a lot of it is smart CIP. I mean, I, I want to get back to this water thing. Um, people should consider reducing your water usage for a whole number of reasons. But when they're thinking about reducing energy and carbon footprint, You have to consider the water to be a big part of that, because as I mentioned earlier, just getting the water requires energy and then disposing of that water requires energy. So on a basic level, you know, we've specifically sloped all of our floors and uh, we've put spot drains and trench drains in very specific locations um, based on the processes that generally happen in those areas which is going to allow me and my team to utilize squeegees instead of hoses as much as possible. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, I've also positioned many, many, many squeegee stations Mm -hmm. so that it's never difficult or a pain for anyone to get a squeegee. It's easier to to get a squeegee than it is a hose. Right. Right. Make it easy for your team to do the right thing. Yeah. So by, by squeegeeing instead of hosing, you're saving a lot of water there. Smart CIP processes, you can save a lot of water there. Um, You know, I talked earlier briefly about collecting steam, turning it into water, using it as CIP rinse. 
Um, there's a lot of great CIP systems today that will automatically collect um, rinse quality water and use it for the first rinse of a dirty tank. Um, mm. But in, in a basic level, um, you know, be specific with your chemicals, uh, be specific with your times and temperatures, that way you're maximizing cleaning or sanitizing. But then also when you're rinsing, be specific with your rinsing. Um, I know I was, I w it was easy for me, especially when I first got into it, to just, you know, blast a tank five times, because that's what we said. We said blast it five times and it's rinsed. Um, but it's super easy to take a pH strip, dip it in your rinse water, see what color that is, and then after every blast of rinse, um, put your pH at the end of your hose or at the end of the cone to see what uh, the pH is coming out of the bottom of that tank. You might be rinsed after your second rinse. Right. So those remaining three rinses are just waste. Yeah, just dumping it down the drain. That's interesting. Exactly. So um, pumps are another place that you can you can uh, save energy. Uh, try to buy efficient pumps. There's a pretty big range in the types of pumps you can get, but trying to match up horsepower requirements um, and energy requirements with processes can help a lot. Don't use an engine or a, a motor that is overpowered for its process. Right. Um, and at the same time, you know, brewers have different thoughts on this, but you can do a lot of transfers with pressure instead of, uh, instead of using a pump. Mm -hmm. Some people would say that's better for the beer. You know, depending on your system, you may, not, may or may not be able to do that. There are, uh, of course, safety risks when you're putting a lot of pressure on a tank. Um, and then you're also using, you know, more CO2. Uh, so that's an interesting one. It can go both ways. Uh, we haven't decided exactly what we're going to do. I like the idea of pushing with CO2 or nitrogen um, from a gentle on the beer kind of process or kind of idea. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we'll have to test that and see. Uh, in terms of filtration, I don't plan on doing any. So um, <laughs> that removes that whole step right away. Yeah, screw filtration. Um, that that's another story. But uh, what we are doing is separation, and yeah. this is a bit of uh, a more expensive proposal, but it has a huge number of benefits. It's centrifugation. Yep. So um, a centrifuge, some people would say, is a filter, but most technically, it's a separator. Yeah, no, because the filter requires the passage through a membrane of something, like rough or fine, but it's going through something. And so, as, as you obviously know, a centrifuge spins the beer, and uh, depending on how you apply it, it can remove solids and heavy particulate from the beer, uh, leaving your beer, you know, quote-unquote, clean. The reason why this is, is great for energy savings is, again, right back to the water. Um, let's say you've got a dry-hopped, IPA. Um, think of it in a uh, homebrew sense. So you've got your carboy sitting, you know, with a couple pounds of hops in the bottom of it. So you've got that beautiful, like two to three inches of hoppy sludge at the bottom. And yep. then you've got clear beer above that. You rack it off and you're ready to clean your tank. So you swirl that sludge around. So you get all of it when you start dumping it out. Well, it's so easy to swirl around because it's probably like 60, 70, 80% liquid, yep. which is beer. Yep. So by using a centrifuge, you can squeeze out all that beer, which is kind of backwards. It doesn't reduce the water to make that beer, but it increases the amount of beer you get from a set amount of water. 
Yeah, it changes the ratio on the the right side instead of on the left. Exactly. And as an additional benefit, you can pull out heavy particulate that you don't want, but you can leave in particulate that you do want, maybe, you know, yeasts or proteins. Um, But additionally, for your hoppy beers, that liquid that you dumped out of your carboy, that beer that you've dumped out of your carboy, you know, covered in hops, that's the hoppiest beer you've got. And yeah. it just went down the drain. The centrifuge essentially helps you squeeze it all out. The centrifuge is a big one for us. Um, and at the same time, not just separation, but uh, diversion. So this goes back to what I was talking about, uh, putting things down the drain. Um, you know, if you dump a tank, maybe you dump a bit into uh, a garbage bin uh, or you collect it somehow, but generally it hits the floor and goes down the drain. With the centrifuge, you can send everything to that centrifuge and collect the waste separately. So we have designed a specific holding tank um, for spent uh, tank materials. So when the bowl of the centrifuge shoots out the spent materials, it gets collected outside in a tank um, and we can then send it away for either appropriate recycling, disposal or feed, depending on what it's composed of rather than putting it down a drain. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I know uh, I know of at least one. I always worry about spilling beans on specific breweries and what their processes are. So I'll just say I know of one you know, good-sized brewery in Toronto that not too long ago uh, brought a centrifuge into their uh, process. And th- like even knowing what they were getting themselves into, they were just like, the return on this thing is crazy. Like you don't lose anything. It's amazing. It's going to happen more and more. Like it's, yeah. you know, they're expensive. They can, it's a big capital outlay. <laughs> yeah. Like they can run like a small, tiny used one could be 150 K big ones can be, you know, well, they can be up to a million dollars of course, but you know, at a craft scale, you're generally looking at two to $300,000, but the ROI is there. Yeah. Uh, the amount of beer that you save, the increased quality in your beer, um, they're they're amazing machines. They're totally amazing machines. Yeah, the returns there, and it's actually pretty quick. <laughs> like there's, you're not waiting ten years for the thing to pay for itself. It's it's happening very quickly with those. Especially if you do a lot of hoppy beer. Um, not yeah. only not only are you getting more beer out of your hoppy tanks, but um, you know, I, uh, GA did a uh, a study with. I think it was Avery. Um, they published at the CBC three or four years ago. And because Avery was previously making hoppy beers, uh, after they installed the centrifuge, they realized they had to make some recipe changes to flavor match. The mm. beers were coming out of the centrifuge too hoppy. That's right. Yeah. So to flavor match, they reduced their hops, which is, yeah, they got to dial it back a bit. That's fine. Yeah, cost savings. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Totally, uh, well, talking about hops, I was going to say totally different vein in terms of uh, environmental concerns, and not even necessarily just around energy, although energy is always kind of a a concern, but other environmental impacts. Uh, What about ingredients? And obviously the two major ones being hops and and, uh, malt. Uh, What sorts of things, I mean, I was going to say, what are some of the problems? I know some of the problems. I mean, Huge swaths of the Canadian prairies are covered in delicious, world-class Canadian two-row barley. Um, And so you run into problems of monoculture and you run into, you know, chemical fertilizers and that sort of stuff. Um, But 
what other sorts of things uh, does the enviro-conscious brewer need to think about in terms of their ingredients? Yeah, so I, I won't speak about the farming because um, it, it's not my expertise. Um, but obviously, as you mentioned, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors there. Um, one of the biggest ones from an environmental standpoint is, is distance to travel. Mm, yeah, where it's coming from. Good point. Yeah, I mean, uh, not just your ingredients, but uh, your packaging materials, your boxes, your, your corrugate, your bottles, everything. Uh, the further it comes, uh, the more impact, especially from a carbon standpoint, it's going to have on the environment. So this is an interesting one. We talked about it quite a bit um, at first. Uh, we, we knew from the get-go we were, you know, building a wastewater treatment facility. We wanted to be carbon neutral. We were going to do all these things to do the right thing. Um, but when it comes to ingredients, what if I want an ingredient from Germany or Belgium or... Or a kiwi hop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's that's one thing. Okay, if there's a hop in New Zealand or in Australia or in Germany that's not grown here, that's one thing. But what if I want a malt that is grown in Ontario but I want the one from Germany. Right. Should we just be buying the one in Ontario or, or the prairies or wherever it happens to be? Um, this, is a, this is a personal question, um, and it's something that everyone should consider. What we decided at Cowbell specifically is that um, we want to make the best beer possible no matter what. We want to do it environmentally, and we want to do it properly um, but in the instances where there is a grain or a hop or something that we could source locally, but maybe are better off sourcing it uh, abroad, we are going to source it abroad. Uh, and what we're going to do is offset uh, mm -hmm. the environmental impact. So part of environmental focus is reduction. Um, a big part of it is measurement, which I want to talk about. I don't want to forget um, and the other part is offset. So yeah. no matter what you do, you're going to have a carbon footprint. You're going to use energy. Um, and if you've determined that's the case, you can offset. So for example, um, we've chosen our base malt to be four malted Pilsner from Vireman. Uh, that's a tasty malt right there, kid. <laughs> I think, I think it is the most delicious base malt there is. Um, I'm absolutely in love with it. I think it's going to go very well with a lot of the beer styles that we're intending to make as well. It's going to work very well for our future distillery. Um, and so because all of our malt is, you know, being shipped over in containers and then rail card down to us, there's quite a carbon footprint. So we're working with uh, BSG Environment to track the carbon footprint all the way from uh, grower to receiver, us of course. Mm -hmm. And along the way, we're going to plant trees every year. Um, it's not just happening on the ingredient side. It's going to happen for all our supplies. It's also going to happen for all of our beer deliveries and all the driving our reps do. Uh, everyone in the company is going to be responsible to ensure that they're able to track their carbon footprint. And we're going to offset it in those areas. So our Ottawa rep will plant trees in Ottawa. Um, you know, earlier this year, we did a trip down to Tennessee to visit some friends and some distilleries. And so we planted, I think it was five trees uh, at a college in, uh, in Pulaski, Tennessee. Um, <laughs> so the offset is how you can, uh, how you can help complement your environmental planning um, while still being able to get the ingredients you want. Obviously not that there's anything wrong um, with locally grown ingredients, 
I want to be able to use local and grown ingredients as much as I possibly can. Sure. But my number one goal is always the best beer I can make, the most delicious yeah. beer I can make. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay, so you want to talk about measurement. Go for it. Uh, like, do you just mean the 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 kind of basic concept of keeping tra- track of your environmental impact? Or are you thinking, well, tell me. <laughs> tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> I don't need to speculate. You're right here. I think um, I think measurement of your of your resources should be included in part of your QC programming. So, you know, I called a lot of breweries to find out what is your, um, how much water do you use? What's your BOD of your wastewater? What does your wastewater look like? BOD is essentially the, the chemical makeup of your wastewater that's going to have an effect on the wastewater treatment facility and hence require more effort, more energy. Very, very few people knew anything about it um, for reasons that we've already discussed. So if we're going to go through all these lengths to make sure that we're being as efficient as we can and we're being effective in all of our processes, it's one thing to do it, um, but it's another thing to to prove it and know that it's working. Um, Mm -hmm. We're spending a lot of money and effort and time to, to go through all these processes and all this engineering we better know that it's working. Um, otherwise, sure, yeah. what's the point? So uh, specifically what we've done is installed flow meters at every every single incoming area of an individual process. So um, we've, we've got a flow meter on the water line coming in from our well that we dug on site. Yep. Uh, and then we've got flow meters going into the brew house, going into the cellar, going into the packaging area, going into each of the CIP skids. So over time, we'll have an average rate of use of water. And if on one time period, whether it be a month or a year, we realize we've exceeded uh, or reduced that water usage, I can be very specific about where that impact came from. Was it inefficiencies or efficiencies in the brew house, in the packaging line, wherever? If you don't know that, if you can't pinpoint it, troubleshooting is going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So the water usage is one thing, um, but then your carbon footprint is another. How can we possibly say that we're going to be carbon neutral um, by just planting 12,000 trees? Um, right. That's lovely. We've planted 12,000 trees and we'll continue to plant many, many more. Um, but what we've done is uh, we've engaged uh, an organization called Golder and Associates. They're a global leader in environmental consulting, and they're essentially going to be our third party to keep us in check. Um, it, it's going to be really valuable for us because it's going to show us if we're doing, if our processes are effective and efficient, um, which itself is going to make us more effective and more efficient. So the, the measuring thing is important to me. Um, it, there's no point in, in claiming, uh, and even, I, I don't want to say there's no point in trying. There's always a point in trying. Um, but if you can't verify it, um, I mean, what's the point in measuring how much caramel malt you put in a brew if you're not going to taste that brew uh, or measure its gravity or test its color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing something for a purpose, uh, I believe you need, to, you need to understand what the effects of your, your actions are. So I, I also think that the measurement is going to help our industry as a whole. Um, this is information that we're excited to share with people. Um, what we're hoping we can do at the end of all this is be able to provide people with uh, maybe not a blueprint, but 
um, with guidelines to help them set up their own environmentally focused breweries. Um, and measuring is going to give us a lot of tools to say, you know, this level of investment helped us reduce our water or our BOD or our, you know, the energy required in our wastewater treatment facility by X, um, instead of just saying, yeah, my guys use squeegees instead of hoses. Mm -hmm. It'll actually show us what's happening, which very excited for. I'm sure it'll cause many headaches because, <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to force us to be accountable. Um, in the waiting area, I guess, kind of reception area of the brewery, we're going to have a monitor that's going to, in real time, show us some of those metrics, how we're doing probably on water usage, because we can get that in real time very easily. Um, hopefully carbon footprint, but I'm not exactly sure uh, what the real time calculation looks like. Um, and we're going to compare ourselves and hold ourselves accountable to anyone else we can possibly find to work with uh, that'll that'll share with us this kind of information. Uh, I think it'll be really cool. I think it, cool. it hope, hopefully will encourage other people to put this kind of effort and uh, and enthusiasm behind it because, I mean, we're not getting more water. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's awesome, man. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, let's transition here. Um, somebody wants to try. You've got two beers in the LCBA. You got Absent Landlord and Doc Purdue's Bobcat. Is that right? So I've just kind of tipped your hat a little there. Somebody wants to uh, try uh, some of your beer. What are they going to do? They're going to hit up LCBO. Yeah, so we've uh, we do have those two beers as you mentioned. We also have the Renegade series that I alluded to before. Mm -hmm. um, Doc Purdue's Bobcat West Coast Red Ale uh, and uh, Absent Landlord, our Country Kolsch. Those are both available in four seventy three mil cans individually at the LCBO. Um, we're at quite a few LCBOs. I think we're over three hundred and fifty LCBOs now around Ontario. Um, we're in London. We're up in Ottawa and. Kingston and a bunch of other places, which is great. Um, Absent Landlord also just hit the beer store. Uh, we're at less locations in the beer store, but we nonetheless are there. Uh, and all three beers, uh, Doc, Henry, uh, which is uh, Absent Landlord. Um, uh, Henry Blythe was the Absent Landlord, so I call it Henry. Um, <laughs> Doc, Henry, and all the Renegade beers are also available on draft. Uh, around Ontario. We've got a lot of accounts, um, especially in our home turf in Huron County, um, but we've got friends pouring our beer in Kitchener, Guelph, Hamilton, London, Toronto, um, and we're slowly kind of stretching stretching our wings. We're, we're less than a year old now selling beer. Um, and then spring summer uh you'll be able to come to Blythe and uh have a pint of of many different delicious beers uh and some other delicious things uh at our own brewery which is going to be super exciting i cool cannot wait for that so spring is the target then yeah yeah we've still got a lot of work to do um yeah of course there's there's a, i'm sure that even after you open that list uh only gets shorter very incrementally yeah <laughs> i mean we we're set to begin receiving brewing related equipment in february uh, we'll be receiving equipment equipment over a two-month period, um, getting it installed, getting it commissioned, testing it, training on it, uh, and then eventually brewing, of course. We've got all the applicable municipal um, permits to get before we can actually brew, before we can have people in. Um, but we're, uh, we're planning on starting with a, a retail space open and then 
you know, hopefully shortly thereafter, we'll add uh, the restaurant when it's prepared. We'll add event spaces when they're prepared. Um, we've got 111 acres, so our, our event potential is, is significant. Um, this year will we'll be moderate uh, for all of our events, but in 2018, um, I, we're going to hit the ground pretty hard. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for all that. Cool. Yeah. Events was going to be the next thing I was going to bring up, but I know, uh, when you're in the actual end game of the build and actually opening the doors, uh, it's thinking about having to do festivals and stuff is pretty low on the priority list, but, uh, uh, yeah, 2018, you'll be out and about and, uh, at, uh, at the big, the, 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 what do they call it? The, uh, sort of the, the major events around the, the province, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been at a lot of events even this year, but we're trying to focus on, um, events that affect our community. Um, right. so we've, we've, we've actually got a pretty big team already, but everyone's, you know, running around doing a million things, which is great. Um, but, uh, as you can imagine, it, it leaves little time to focus on all the events, the session and TFOB and all the great craft beer festivals that exist now. Um, so what we have been doing, our events team has been focusing on events that positively affect our community and other communities. So we've been participating less in prototypical beer festivals, um, and more in festivals and or events that feature beer um, whether directly or indirectly, but have a specific focus on the community that they're in. We've done a lot of great ones in Huron County, of course, and we did a couple craft beer festivals too. I expect this year, I know my, I know my events team has got a list of, of events they want to hit, which is going to be great. So I expect we'll be out at more this year and the following year we'll be out at even more. Um, and it's our goal to, to do a lot of exciting events at the Cowbell Farm, Mm -hmm. um, we do have all that outdoor space. We've got beautiful indoor space as well. Um, some of it is very open concept. Some of it is a little bit more private. So we've got the ability to do a lot of different things. But I, um, I, I'm, I'm very, very excited for both the small scale events that we can do, but also the large ones, summer, winter, spring and fall. Um, it's always beautiful in Huron County. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I, for myself, um, don't know what's going on. I normally lean pretty heavily on Mandy for that sort of information, because as somebody who runs a brewery that's involved in events around the town, she normally knows what they are. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the only uh, Winterfest is sometime in February normally. So that's coming down the pipe, I think. And that's always a good one. I like the winter one because it's a little bit less busy. <laughs> and as long as you pick the right gloves and the right coat, you can kind of do the inside and the outside. And you don't have to carry too bulky a coat on the inside. And you also don't freeze your ass off on the outside. So uh, so that's a fun one. Other than that, I don't know. Oh, uh, Roundhouse is coming up, isn't it? Roundhouse Craft Beer Fest, the winter one. Yeah, That's Roundhouse is pretty soon. I, I don't yeah. believe we're at the Roundhouse. We were at the fall um, only event, so I think we'll be at the winter event also. Um, mm. And then I I think maybe because beer does a winter festival now. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, uh, I don't think it's because does because beer do one. There's um I don't know. I could be wrong. There's the Toronto winter one that had a spot of bother there last time. I think we'll just leave it at that. Um, 
Oh, no, no. You know, because beer 100% does. It's indoors. It's in Hamilton. Um, yeah, yeah, they absolutely do. You're right. I should have known that for a kind of silly reason. But uh, yeah, they definitely do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. so I mean, there's more happening. And then hopefully this year we've got a great spring. Um, and then, you know, hopefully in 2018 we can add a Cowbell Craft Beer Festival to the list with all of our friends. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've been in the area recently, but there's a lot of breweries, a lot of uh, wineries, a lot of great restaurants opening up. We're going to have to get you out to Huron County there, Chris. Yeah. Okay. So I know obviously we're like Huron is, and so roughly where Huron County is. So throw me some like major landmarks near Blythe. Right. So um, a lot of people know where London is. If you're in London on Richmond Street, which is one of the main roads that runs north south, if I've been there. there. Yeah. So if you drive north on Richmond Street, it eventually turns into uh, London Road 4. Um, so pretty much an hour on the dot from the north edge of London, uh, north on Richmond Street, you're in Blythe. Uh, OK. Alternately, uh, you can start in Goderich, which is right on Ontario's west coast, right on Lake Huron. <laughs> the west coast of Ontario. Hence our west coast red ale. That's right. I actually read that in the uh, the information. I like that. I'm looking this up on Google Maps right now because I got to know. So from uh, from from Godrich, uh, we're essentially 20 to 25 minutes eastbound. Um, so we're right in land. We're not on the water. Uh, we're in farmland, which is which mm -hmm. is lovely. That's why we've got so much of it. Like near Dutch line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you tell I'm looking at a map right now? <laughs> exactly. It's uh, it's uh, London Road 4 is the north south. Uh, Blythe Road 25 is the east west. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I see exactly where you'd be. Okay, yeah, 4 and 25? Yeah, southeast corner, right of 4 and 25. South east. It says Huron Tractor. Yep, so Huron Tractor's on the north side. We're on the south side of Huron Tractor. Oh, no, actually, if you zoom in close enough, it says Cowbell Brewing Company. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's, it's, Google Maps has already got you covered. Yeah, it's actually got, if you go into the um, Earth view or the satellite view or whatever it's called, um, it's got an image of our construction site probably back in September. So it's got the ground clearing and the perimeter of the building, but not nothing that's happened since then. But it's huh. it's pretty cool. I, I looked at it randomly the other day, expecting to see the green field that it was before um, and noticed that it was actually construction. So it's somewhat up to date. Get on Google. Yeah, I think it's about quarterly for a, a lot of places in around Ontario. They normally get updated, it seems. Okay, so now I'm like I know exactly where you guys. I was thinking you were a little bit further up the up the coast, more towards Tiverton or Sogging Shores. <laughs> These are places I've never heard of before. <laughs> Sogging Shores is lovely. Tiverton's lovely. Concordia's lovely. There's uh, that whole West Coast is great, man. I know I know Sobel, so uh, I found Sobel Beach there. There you go. Um, excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, okay, well, thanks for joining me, Stephen. This has been fascinating. This is great. Uh, people want to holler at you. Where do they get you? Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to you. Um, yes. People can email me anytime at srich at cowbellbrewing.com. I'm always happy to chat with people. Um, I'm also at Definition Ale on Twitter. Uh, cowbell is at cowbell beer on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, we're cowbellbrewing.com. Um, yeah, those are all the fun places. Sweet. I'm going to throw all that up into the show notes. I uh, don't know actually how lengthy the show notes will be this time because there's a lot of <laughs> technical talk about brewing stuff. So I'll, uh, 
I'll see what kind of links I can turn up to uh, to to support the conversation. Um, but uh, but for sure, that info will be in there and uh, and that'll be good. I'm going to be back. OK, here, Toronto, we're trying. We're trying. I'm back now. I'm back. 2017. We're rolling again. We're aiming for the weeklies. And uh, uh, but Mandy, Mandy's asked for four to six weeks off and I've granted it to her. <laughs> because if I said no, I don't know what would have happened. Like she still wouldn't be here. So uh, I rolled. Um, but no, seriously, uh, Mandy needed some time to do her thing. Um, so we're going to be lining up uh, different guests doing different things. The next two guests likely are going to be uh, uh, talking about specific themes. It's probably going to be Ren talking about inclusion and Avon, uh, the chef at Amsterdam Brew House, talking about food and beer, which is pretty exciting. I got to nail him down still, but I think we're going to do that. So hopefully those are the next two. The one following that isn't going to be every week because I'm going to be in Nicaragua. Um, so that'll be a bit tricky, but maybe I'll do a phone in drinking a, uh, uh, a Tonya, which is the national beer brand in Nicaragua. And I got to tell you, if you've never worked a solid 10 to 12 hour day in the hot, dusty Monaguan uh, barrio of your choice and then cracked an ice cold Tonya beer, you have not lived because uh, a Central American take on a North American lager doesn't sound appealing to a lot of craft beer <laughs> geeks. But my gosh. Sometimes it's just the ticket. <laughs> that sounds anyway. delicious. Yeah. You know that experience, right? It's like, oh, of course. This beer functionally is just, eh? But man, whew, I could drink six of these right now. That's delicious. It's all about the scenario, right? <laughs> yeah. I always say, people say, what's, what's the best beer you ever had? And I can list three. And it's very little to do with the beer and very much to do with what was happening while I was having the beer. It's important. So. Anyway, so that's the plan. That's what we got coming down the pipe. We are, we'll, we'll all be around, uh, check out cowbell. Uh, like I say, especially anything technical, you want to fire a question at Steven. He is a super friendly guy as you've heard, and we'll follow up with you again. Give him a little space. Dude's helping build a brewery right now. So you know, he didn't ask for four to six weeks off, but, uh, but, but give him a little bit of space. But anyway, yeah, uh, check out all those, all the links, uh, especially it's been fun kind of following along the, the pictures on Instagram. So uh, check out all that stuff and we'll talk to you in, you know, about seven days. Thanks for listening, Toronto. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. <laughs> Guess what? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs>